Hello, my loves. Welcome to episode four of the Mel Custer podcast. I'm here today and I'm actually, I'm actually doing an episode that's a little bit of a change of tone to my first three episodes and I'm not really sure how long this is going to go for, but what I'm here to talk to you about today is how one of my worst nightmares turned into my reality and how I've overcome that. Um, I'm actually going to tell the story about Max and his um, congenital heart defect and our, our time in the hospital. Um, how we moved on from that, oh, I feel nervous. I actually feel super nervous. This is a very deep, deep topic. And whilst I've I shared our experience online when it was happening and I kept everyone updated and stuff like that, I'm going to actually speak right now today about the thoughts that I had, the feelings that I had, how I have managed to find the gifts within this painful experience and that's what today's podcast is about it's like whilst I'm going to tell this story I really have some some strong points around trauma and traumatic experiences so this is a trigger warning I will be speaking about child loss um, miscarriage and pretty much a lot of um, quite triggering subjects but this is my my story my truth and i'm actually just not going to hold back on how i felt the thoughts that i had and the space that i was in when this all happened so i also want to start by by just giving a preface and now i know i don't need to do this but i want to is that i am well 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 aware and i saw this firsthand that there are many people out there far worse off than us but just because the person next to you is in a full body cast doesn't make your broken leg hurt any less. And I think that's really important that you don't gaslight yourself into, um, I guess, invalidating your own feelings because other people have it worse off. And there's a difference here. When I speak, I'm going to speak about finding the gift within your, your trauma and your pain and your past and finding the positives in those, but please don't get it twisted for toxic positivity because it is absolutely not that. We are not here to invalidate or stop some sort of process within our feelings and stuff like that. We are here to process, to feel, and you're going to feel today the pain that was there. Like you'll hear it in my voice, the parts that really felt heavy for me back then that I've actually, you know, moved through and and, and I've moved beyond the story of like what's happened to me. And whilst this is one small thing within a, a whole multitude of traumas and stuff like that that have happened for me, you know, this is one small part, but it's the one that is probably the most significant. And I was an adult when I experienced it. So, yeah, I, I think it's really important here that we don't invalidate our own feelings and that you don't use trying to find the gift in your pain or in your trauma or or in your story that you don't use that to bypass anything to bypass the pain the processing and the feelings because when you're in survival mode and and this is you know when we're going through this we were in survival mode it's very hard to process in the moment and it's also important to know that healing happens in layers as well you know, you can feel like you've moved beyond things and really processed it and, and stuff like that. But there there might be a deeper layer that's seeding underneath that, that will come up later on in life. And I'm going to talk about how that's happened for me as well. So let's jump into it. I'm not going to put it off any longer. But this is the story about how one of my biggest anxieties and fears came actually into fruition. So uh, have a, we have a daughter, Lexi. She is seven, nearly seven. Um, and she was two when we decided to try for another baby. It was actually just before she was two. And we thought two to three years would just be a, a really good age gap. So just before she was two, we started trying. 
and fell pregnant and I was over the moon. Sean was over the moon. We were just like so excited to have a family. I I actually, it's really interesting. I felt really anxious when I fell pregnant with Lexi, obviously being the first pregnancy, but the second time I fell pregnant, I didn't feel any anxiety. I just felt pure excitement, happiness. And yeah, I, it was really interesting witnessing that the, that the fear didn't come up whatsoever. It was just like, um, I would say almost just like a knowing that everything was going to be okay. A few days later, I actually started bleeding and I just knew, I knew by the amount of blood, by the pain that I was in, that, that, that two days of fucking pure bliss had like literally come crashing down. And sure enough, I went to the doctor and she said, yes, this is a very early miscarriage. Um, your HCG levels are there, like you are pregnant, but unfortunately with the bleeding and the cramping and those sorts of things, I'm going to say that this is a very early miscarriage. So that was like a pain that I don't know, like the pain that you feel when you have a miscarriage is excruciating and you actually feel like you're never going to recover from it. But sitting here now, looking back, I had no fucking idea what was coming next. And everyone's journey is very, very different. And for me, that miscarriage isn't something I think about very often, purely probably because of the pain that I felt after that and the fear and the anxiety. So that happened. I, I actually, I actually rebelled quite a bit after that. And when I say rebelled, like I went out, I drank heaps and just kind of like, I went and got a tattoo, like, um, nothing hectic. Like I didn't go out and, you know, do lots of drugs or anything like that. I just kind of like went out, I partied and I probably numbed a lot of my pain with, with fun. Um, and needed that, like, I felt so low that I needed like a dopamine hit. So I would go out, I would drink, um, and party and, and look, I had a lot of fun, but deep, deep underneath, I was in a lot of pain. Um, I remember Lexi's second birthday. Oh God, <laughs> Lexi's second birthday. I was really emotional because it was only, um, maybe like a few weeks since I'd had the miscarriage. And I just, I remember sitting down on her bed and staring at her sleeping on the night of her second birthday and thinking just how badly I wanted to give her a sibling um, and how that felt. I felt like I'd, I'd been robbed of that and that I'd failed my family. And, and I know that so many other pregnant women, one in four women actually experience miscarriage. And it became, I became a part of this club that I never wanted to be a part of ever. And, you know, you do feel like you almost have to hide it at the time. Um, so as to not trigger someone else who's been through it or, you know, you do go through that whole, like people have been through much worse and, and stuff like that and you really do kind of invalidate your own feelings and it's a shitty place to be in but I remember just thinking like how badly I wanted to give her a sibling and I failed at doing that and I felt I felt like I failed my family like I failed my daughter and if you've ever had a miscarriage you can probably relate but is actually not our fault and um yeah funnily enough that night we conceived max <laughs> so um so interesting actually because we really didn't um plan on like on having like on falling pregnant again straight away um but we did and that night after I sat on the bed crying and staring at Lexi, we um, con conceived Max. So 
very close to after the miscarriage and soon enough I took the test. I knew I'm one of those people that knows when they're pregnant. My body, I know my body well and I <laughs> I actually like lose my mind when I'm pregnant. It's very, very interesting. Now, when I found out this time, the complete opposite to the second time came up. I did feel anxious. I was afraid. I was um, almost too afraid to tell anyone until I was 12 weeks. And even then beyond 12 weeks, I relaxed a little bit. But I think having a miscarriage, you wonder, is this going to happen again? And it kind of puts a new, it unlocks a new fear within you. So, I mean, everything went well. Um, with the like we got we got to 12 weeks the scan was good everything was fine um and at 20 weeks you have another scan now in my pregnancy with Lexi I had placenta previa where the placenta is like lying over the cervix or very close by it's very dangerous if the if the placenta doesn't move you'll have to have a c-section I didn't end up having to I could have a vaginal birth which was amazing and then with Max I found out that I had the same thing now I decided that I wanted to go and see a private obstetrician for this pregnancy because I didn't feel like the first time in the public system that I got the care or the um, the care was amazing like I'm an, an, and I'm so grateful for the public system but I didn't feel listened to and I didn't feel like yeah it's hard to explain but I felt like I would feel it would be a more empowered choice for me to go see a private OBS and I went to see a very highly recommended one of the high, most highly recommended OBS um, OB guides on the Mornington Peninsula which is where I live and it's actually very very fucking lucky I did that and I made that decision and it, and it was a gut feeling it was just like a yeah I need to go see him so I went to see him um, just after my 20 week scan. Now your 20 week scan is where they check all the vitals, they check the heart, they check, you know, all of the main things. And my 20 week scan, the, the experience was kind of weird. Um, she was very rough, very grumpy, very rude. It took her a long time. Um, I was busting to wee, I was uncomfortable. I just wanted to get out of there. And yeah, she just kind of was like, yep, yeah, all good, fine, and, and off I went. And that now this was with a, a public, like, just, like, a bulk bill kind of place. And so I went to the, see this obstetrician uh, just after that scan, and he looked at it, and he was like, look, I, this is a shit scan, basically. I'm going to send you to someone who's really good. They're going to do a really high-quality scan, a proper scan, and I just want you to just be double sure. We'll just really see where that placenta is lying. We can then make a decision about what's going to happen for the next 20 weeks or so. Um, how often I'll see you, whether we schedule in a C-section or what's going to happen there. It's so lucky that this man sent me to get another scan because there was something very wrong with Max that wasn't picked up. So I went to this new scan place. I actually, Sean wasn't with me. Um, we were just pretty chilled by this stage. Second baby, we were like, it's it's all good. We've had a 20 week scan, like it's fine. So my mum came with me, Lexi was with me. I went in, had the scan and towards the end of the scan, the sonographer, I'm pretty sure they're called. She actually kind of just looked at me and she was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to scare you, but there is something here that I just need a doctor to come and look at. The doctors are all up at Monash Hospital, so you'll have to come back this afternoon. I need them to review something. There's something going on with your baby's heart. And I just felt like I was going to spew. Like I just felt absolutely like I think I probably went white. And I was like, is it beating? And she said, yeah, yeah, it's beating. It's, um, you know, he's alive. He's, he's okay, but we need to get this checked out. So went outside, rang Sean in hysterics. Like, honestly, I don't think I could even breathe. And I said, there's something wrong with the baby's heart. You need to finish work. We need to come back here. Like, 
this this is not okay there's something wrong and he was like what the fuck all right yep like i'm coming and yeah we we came back in the afternoon i remember sitting in the waiting room and i said to sean i bet you just remember i went into like you go through these stages when you're going through something and this was like my anger denial stage and i was like I bet you this bitch doesn't know what she's doing or what she's talking about. She probably just isn't, you know, competent in her job. And like, I'm sure we're going to go in and this, this doctor, um, I think he was like a neonatology sonographer or something like that. I don't know. It was a really big word, but basically his job was to find these defects anyway and diagnose them. And so we, we ended up going in with this doctor, did the scan he basically turned the little TV off, turned around and looked at us and said, your baby has a congenital heart defect. And my heart broke. Like I was like, what does that even mean? Now, I actually knew what it meant because only a couple of months prior, one of my closest friends spent four to five months in the hospital have having open heart surgery with her baby and I was helping her with her older daughter looking after her and being there for her and supporting her and I could see how tough of a journey it was for them so naturally it was like fuck me I am not strong enough to get through that there's no way and what are the chances that that happened to my friend and now it's happening to me it just doesn't that doesn't happen and we basically I said to the sonographer, so what does this mean? And he said, um, this means that you're going to now have to be a high risk pregnancy. You're going to have to have him in a big hospital like the Royal Women's or Monash Hospital um, in Clayton. And you will need to be transferred straight away to Royal Children's Hospital. He will need to have open heart surgery to rectify this or he will not live this has to be done. It has to be operated on. So basically transposition of the great arteries is what Max had. And it's where the two main arteries to your heart, they're the wrong way around. They're actually, they grow the wrong way. So you can imagine like plumbing, (laughs) this is how they explained it, like plumbing and the two pipes are switched around the wrong way, which essentially meant when he was born, this little hole you've got a little hole in your heart that's naturally closes over once you're born whilst that hole was open he would be okay not 100 percent, but he would be alive because his blood would be able to mix and get oxygen and stuff in it but once that hole closed over that would mean death basically to put it bluntly so what we needed to do was keep that hole open in the heart um, and that can be done by medication or by a mini procedure, um, which I'll go into in a moment. And then he would have to have open heart surgery as a brand new newborn baby, days old, um, and switch those two arteries over. Now, it's not as simple as just switching two arteries. There's a whole lot of little... um, they're not called capillaries they're called something else um i can't remember what they're called like tiny 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 little vessels and arteries that also all need to be switched over so to put it into perspective a newborn's heart is the size of a walnut that's how small they're dealing with so yeah this sonographer said to us he's going to need to have open heart surgery um and all goes well in that then yeah then he'll be okay and he should live a fairly normal life he said fairly normal so by this stage um so i was about 24 weeks by this stage and we were given about a month until we would have another few appointments with all these different people to just like really see what was going on, do extra scans. I had a lot of extra scans. I had lots of scans in the rest of my pregnancy. And um, they basically 
gave me the option of terminating without saying, do you want to terminate? <laughs> um, which made me really think, is this going to be, um, is, is this even, does he have, a, does, is this viable? Like, does he have a good chance? So that hurt a lot and that created a lot of um, a lot of fear within me. So with Lexi, I had like the, the nursery set up at like 13 weeks and, you know, it was just so excited buying things and all of those sorts of things. And with Max, that period between like 28 weeks or, or 24 weeks when I found out kind of almost nearly up until his birth I didn't do any of that stuff I didn't allow myself to set up his nursery I didn't buy really anything because I was so fucking terrified that I was going to have to come home to this stuff without my baby and and I didn't know at this stage if he was going to live there's no guarantees with this stuff there's just not. And and a lot of people, a lot of babies don't survive this. So that was a very real fear that I was facing. And it makes me feel sick to even think that, you know, I, I put off bonding with, you know, my bump and, and doing all the happy, exciting things that you do when you're about to have a baby. I didn't do that stuff because I was so fucking afraid. But towards the end I was like this is ridiculous you've your mind is you know like you've got to be positive like you actually just have to because if you don't have hope like who's going to so I was also offered at one of the appointments at amnio I can't remember what it's called amniocesis or something it's called it's like where basically they put a big needle into your belly pull out um some fluid they test it and they test for um, down syndrome and a few other things because a lot of babies who have um, TGA which is what Max had um, it's actually can be associated with down syndrome so they said would you like to do that um, and see if there's any like chromosomal defects or whatever whatever the thing and I was like no like I'm not I'm actually not doing that this baby is my baby no matter what happens um this like what am I going to do with that information at 28 weeks pregnant what am I going to do if if there is some abnormalities there like really I'm not terminating this is that's not happening and they said a hundred percent we we agree so again you know it was like the added fear of like is there going to also be you know um yeah abnormalities there as well other than just his heart but Luckily, um, you know, everything was fine. So, and and I just, to be clear, no matter how he came out, I'm his mum and that's my son and and I have no judgment or, um, you know, I have absolutely no judgment for whatever decision people, people want to make in, in whatever situation they're put in. It's a quality of life thing, I get it. But for me, at this stage where I was, at in my pregnancy at 28 weeks I was like this is just it's like this isn't my decision and that was what felt right for me to make so had a lot of scans I was you know going through all of the the high risk stuff at the hospital every week pretty much and finally I um, was given an induction date because I lived a fair I live about an hour from the hospital as having him and they didn't want me to have him on the side of the road and stuff like that because he would actually need to be taken straight away. I didn't actually know if I was even going to get to hold him once I gave birth to him. Um, so induction day rolled around was the 20th of December that I was induced and then like fully, fully like with the balloon and then fully, fully induced on the 21st of December. So this is a few days before Christmas. And so on the 21st of December, 2018, I gave birth to my beautiful little red-headed, blue-eyed munchkin. And I was so grateful because I spent 
months not knowing if I was going to get to have that, you know, you push the baby out, they put them on your chest and you, your whole, like, your whole world is just expanded and your heart grows a a little bit bigger in that moment. And I didn't know if I was going to get that. And I had about 10 people, I think, in the room when he was coming out, when I was pushing. So I got to have him naturally, which was just such a blessing. Um, I just, I thought that that was the best thing because I thought that I was going to have to have a C-section. And I pushed him out and they put him on my chest. And it was a moment that I didn't know if I was going to get. And luckily for me, he was screaming. (laughs) So some of these babies come out blue and not breathing, Um, which is why there were so many people in the room with the resus unit. And, you know, they were all just waiting. They were so respectful. They were so amazing. Um, They really just, like, respected my privacy. And, you know, they weren't all, like, staring at me, (laughs) being like, come on, push. They were just, like, kind of chatting amongst one another. And I just pretended they weren't there and... Anyway, he came out, he was screaming and they put him on my chest and the timer started and I could hear them counting down. Um, And I had 60 seconds. That's what I was allowed to have. And it was the best 60 seconds of my life and the scariest 60 seconds of my life. It was so weird. And I remember thinking, just take him just take him because I was so worried and I remember he was screaming and they put him on me and he stopped screaming almost straight away and I looked at the nurses and I said there's something wrong and I I thought that he'd stop breathing but they (laughs) they laughed and they were like no no Mel he's he knows you're his mum and he's calm because he's on you and that was just so beautiful so Um, Sean after I think they said yep 60 seconds and then I knew my time was up so Sean quickly cut the cord and um, they took him straight away they took him over so normally so with Lexi they popped her on me and and it was like an hour she was sitting there for um, and you just have like skin to skin and stuff like that so I was just wrapped that I got to have 60 seconds of skin to skin and I know that that sounds like nothing but it felt like a lifetime to me, considering I thought that I wasn't going to get that time at all. So that's where my, that's where I really started to learn about gratitude. And I thought I'd felt gratitude in my life. But that moment was like, yeah, I don't think, you know, I had felt gratitude like that until that moment. So they took him. And they popped him on a resus bed and they started working on him straight away. They said his apgars are really good. Um, he, he's almost like a normal baby. If we didn't know, we wouldn't know. And that's the real reality that a lot of people face is that a lot of TGA babies, um, because it's such a hard thing to pick up. And, you know, this lady that picked it up, I'm sitting there being like, this bitch probably doesn't know what she's doing. When in reality, she knew exactly what she was doing and she was very fucking good at her job. And she saved my son's life. And I actually said that to her because the the, the next doctor said to me, you know, a lot of babies go undiagnosed and then they get home and then, and then they have an episode and then they're rushed back or in hospital, their oxygen levels start dropping and we have no idea what's going on. So the fact that this is picked up is just very lucky. And I remember when I had that scan and I found out even though my world was broken and it felt like my worst nightmare was coming true I remember looking at her and just saying thank you you saved our boy's life because we're able to get on top of this and she just yeah she had tears in her eyes and she just sort of nodded her head and looked away um because that's her everyday job you know so anyway (laughs) let's go back (laughs) So they took Max on the resus unit and they took him over straight away to the NICU. And um, at this stage, it was like 11 o'clock at night that I had him. So 
He went over, our cardiologist took called in. Um, I think they got in at about 2 a.m. So in the meantime, they had like sedated Max. They'd pretty much put him under anesthetic. So they'd pretty much like put them to sleep, um, keep their oxygen going and stuff like that. Our cardiologist came in. We still see her. She's absolutely phenomenal. Um, and she came and saw me and she said, look, because I couldn't actually be with him. Um, and she said, Sean could actually, Sean went, but he said it was very hectic and they were in- intubating him and all that stuff. And he said it was just a lot. So he came and, um, sat with me. And so the cardiologist came and they spoke to both of us and they said, you know, we think we should do a septostomy, which is basically that tiny little hole in your heart. They thread a little wire, like a little catheter. Um, either through the artery in your thigh or in your belly button and then they thread it all the way up in through the heart through that hole then they basically expand the catheter and rip a rip that hole bigger so it's they're basically creating a, a hole in the heart that's bigger than the one that's there and that's just so the blood can mix and he can have enough oxygen and stuff like that to live until the surgery so At about three hours old or four hours old, he had his first little mini surgery. They just do it in the NICU um, and it was a success. About 5am they came in and they woke me up and they said, um, you, yep, it's, it's, it's good. It went well. We've done it. Um, he's just gonna, we're just gonna try and get him strong now and, and feeding and stuff like that until surgery day and um we had no idea when surgery day was remember this is the 21st of december that he was born so this is just days before christmas we have a two and a half year old um and we were like no fucking idea what was going on so we had christmas so we actually were very lucky um if there's one charity that i can recommend to ever donate to guys the biggest charity that helped us out was Ronald McDonald House. You don't understand the impact that those people have until you're put in a position where you've got to leave a hospital without your baby. And the fact that it was Christmas and I had to go home and wake up Christmas morning with one of my children in the hospital an hour away would have actually killed me. So... The fact that they gave us a room, our own room, with a double bed and a single bed for Lexi so she could stay with us, right next to the hospital. So it's literally, it's literally in the car park of Monash Hospital. Um, They gave that to us, even though we were technically um, too close, even though it was an hour, but we're technically too close. They still let us stay because there was vacancy and that was it made a really horrible time a lot easier and I remember the first night so I discharged myself from the hospital as a patient because obviously you've got to stay as a patient and I just didn't want to be a patient I'm like I'm not a patient my son's a patient so I discharged myself after I think it was like 12 hours um and I said I'll come back I promise like I'll come up and be checked I'm happy to be you know have my obs done like I'm happy to come back but I'm not staying here I'm staying with my I'm staying with my family and they let me they were really good they were really really good so um I remember going home that first night not home home was Ronald McDonald house I remember walking out the car park and jumping in the bed with Sean and I have never let out such an instant inconsolable cry couldn't breathe I was like hyperventilating because I was like I felt empty so empty I had no baby in my belly no baby in my arms um and he was he was all by himself in a crib about 500 meters away from me in a hospital room and it just felt so fucking shit and if you've ever if you've ever left a baby in a hospital and 
had to leave. You'll know the pain. So this is why I, I, I donate to Ronald McDonald House all the time um, because that made a very painful experience a lot easier and we were able to just come and go from the room to the back to the hospital whenever we wanted. It was just honestly like I can't even speak highly enough of them. So we were in limbo. We knew we were being transferred to the Royal Children's Hospital um, at some stage, but we weren't sure when. We didn't know if it was going to be days, a week, what. So we ended up having Christmas Day in at the Monash Hospital. Um, we woke up on Christmas morning and this is like, you know, you're going through such a hard time where you don't know if you're going to have this you don't know if your baby's going to survive. There's no guarantees. And they say that to you. There's no 100% guarantee. Um, I guess nothing's 100% guaranteed. But, you know, you're going through this hard time. Yet, you wake up on Christmas morning. And the joy that is created in a place like that is like nothing you'll experience unless you've been through it. And... You know, there was sacks of presents at our door at Ronald McDonald House from Santa that they'd organised. And um, even presents for Max, presents for us. It was like a Google Home Mini and a Bunnings voucher. It was honestly the most beautiful thing. And these are presents that are donated to Ronald McDonald House from normal people. So, again, if there's something that you ever want to do to help, you can donate toys, you can donate presents for the parents and and things like that so that they can make Christmas special for the people who can't spend it how they normally would. So, yeah, um, that just, I remember just thinking, wow, like, that's really special and that's, you know, you really feel the meaning of love when, you know, you go through something like that. And so I trekked on up as soon as I opened my eyes. We opened the presents with Lexi, um, as you do on Christmas morning. And I trekked up to the hospital and up to Maxie's room and they dressed him up in a little <laughs> Christmas outfit. They go through and they dress up all the, the Niku babies in Christmas fits um, that the volunteers knit for the babies. And it's actually the most cutest thing ever. In fact, we've actually still got the little Christmas cardigan that Max was wearing. It's so tiny. Um, but they really just like went all out and Santa came and he was the best Santa I've ever seen. Um, you know, it, 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 like people come around, people who have been patients in the hospital. They come around and they give you little gifts and, you know, it was a really, really hard time. But going through that and having Christmas there by ourselves um, and having so many strangers put in so much effort to make your day that little bit nicer meant the world and it was the little things like that that makes you really realize that you know gives you a lot of faith back in humanity really so we had Christmas and then we knew New Year's was coming up and on 28th of December they said we're going today you're going to the Royal Children's, he's going up for surgery. So we were transferred, um, ambulance came, picked us up, took us up there. And we had nowhere to stay. We had no idea what was going on. Again, Ronald McDonald stepped in. We actually were given some money from Sean's dad um, to get some accommodation because remember, I've just had a baby, so I'm bleeding and all of this stuff. And the Ronald McDonald in the city um, at Royal Children's Hospital is shared bathrooms and it's very different to Monash. Um, it's a lot bigger, but it's a lot older and shared bathrooms. So, you know, I'm getting up multiple times a night to change things. And, you know, if you've had a baby, you get it. Um, so we had accommodation for a few nights. And then from that point on, I actually stayed, I was able to stay at the hospital with Max anyway and do feeds and stuff like that. Um, so... Yeah, we had accommodation. We just kind of waited until surgery day. So they came around. They said he's actually going in for surgery on the 31st. So New Year's Eve. 
and he has Christian Brizard, and he is the head surgeon at Royal Children, the head cardiac surgeon at Royal Children's Hospital, um, the best of the best, like some one of the best in the entire world. I'm not even joking. Like very, very, very highly, like just known and. They actually said he's the best of the best and you're just very lucky that, you know, his shift has fallen on the day that Max is having surgery. So um, we knew that he was the bee's knees. I'm pretty sure he's at this stage he'd been the head cardiac surgeon at Royal Children's for like 20 years. So um, that's how, you know, experienced he is. Um, and we knew he was in good hands, which made it a lot easier, but we knew that we went out of the woods to this point, I hadn't Googled anything. They actually said, don't Google, don't, don't diagnose, don't look up statistics, just don't do it to yourself. So I didn't, so I hadn't, and I didn't know any statistics. And they sat down and they said, you know, it's a 96 to 98% success rate with these TGA babies, which for me, I was like, that's a good, that's a good number. Like that's a good number. But then straight away I was like, but there's also still that small percentage there where it doesn't work out but you actually just can't think that that way when you're in a situation like that it really doesn't actually get you anywhere you've got to kind of try and be positive to survive and that's when I say you're in survival mode you can't thrive when you're in survival mode you can't process properly you're just focused on getting through every day and one it was honestly one day was up I was like positive I was like yep wait we're good we're, we're, we're gonna do this like he's a fucking warrior like he is tough like I know he's tough I just know it and then next day I wouldn't be able to even look at anyone without crying I couldn't speak I couldn't function I couldn't do anything then the next day I'd be up again and it was just day for day like it was just up and down so it's a roller coaster of emotions but um you know it was my reality and I and I was in survival mode and so was Sean and we just did everything we could to stick together so and support one another and we had support from family and you know help with Lexi and stuff like that too which was was really lovely but on New Year's Eve he went in for his heart surgery so he had to fast I was staying with him the night before had to fast him um, which was difficult because newborn baby at 10 days old actually doesn't know <laughs> how to fast but anyway and so at 8 a.m Sean came down they said he's going to go in and um that Max was going to go in and I said goodbye and I handed over my tiny 10 day old baby to theatre staff and they took him and I just I didn't know I didn't know if I was going to get to see him again or or what would happen and I knew it was a big surgery it's a seven hour plus surgery um and so they said to us take your daughter keep busy go to the aquarium look around keep her entertained take your mind off it and we will call you when it's done and we did go to the aquarium it was the worst fucking day of my life and the best day of my life honestly the duality in something like this is just insane but I don't even remember walking around the aquarium. I was just in fight or flight the whole time, waiting for my phone to ring. And we went back to where we were staying and just waited and waited. And I remember we downloaded like words with friends to try and take our mind off it. And sure enough, seven hours after we handed him over, I get a phone call, my phone rang and my heart sank. And I was just like, let's do this. And I answered and it was... Hello, Melissa. This is Christian Bazard, was the surgeon. He rang me himself and he said, all has gone well. He's doing really well. And I just fucking lost it. And I was like, thank you. I just said to him, thank you for saving our boy. And he's so cool as a cucumber. Still, to this day, I laugh about it with Sean. He's just like, all good. See you soon. Bye. <laughs> Such a casual phone call. Like, yep, you've just saved our son's life. Given him his entire life of life. <laughs> and you're just like, yep, see ya. Like, um, and I actually, I just remember seeing him 
the day before the surgery in the food court at the Royal Children's Hospital buying sushi for lunch. And I'm like, this dude's just saving lives, giving like uh, giving families lifetimes of happiness. He's got no, like the hum, the, he was so humble. He was so just like normal, just buying sushi, saving lives, just blows my mind. Um, anywho, so we're allowed to go down and see Max. And now after open heart surgery, I've posted photos of Max before. Um, so they are on my Instagram, but I, I Googled, there was one thing I Googled and it was what they look like after they have heart surgery, because I knew that it looked different. I knew that there'd, there'd be a lot of cords. I knew there'd be lots of meds and lots of things going on when he was in, um, Piku. So he was in Piku and, um, uh, I knew that it would be confronting. And so I prepared myself and I looked at all these photos to kind of like maybe, I don't know, desensitize myself or whatever. I don't know. But nothing can prepare you to walking in to seeing your baby like that. And I lost it. I absolutely just, I was a fucking mess. Um, I think I just walked over. I looked at him. I took one look at him. I think I gasped, let out like a shriek of like, I can't even know. I don't even know the noise, but it was like a noise. And I walked over to the corner of the room, <laughs> faced the corner of the room and just sobbed. Um, it's so incredibly confronting. And um, you feel so helpless. And I actually have a friend who's been through a similar thing with her son. And I said to her the other day, you just the helplessness that you feel hurts more than anything else. Um, so yeah, that, that was tough. And then it was recovery time. So they say the 24 hours after surgery is the rocky period. So that's where things can go wrong. And sometimes they leave the chest open. So they obviously open heart surgery. They have to open the rib cage, open the chest. Sometimes if there's, you know, if it's a bit hit and miss, they think that potentially things might go wrong or whatever, they can leave the chest open. But with Max, it was closed. So that was a good sign. Um, just cause they don't want to be opening and closing the chest up if they've got to go back in. Um, so yeah, he, he started his recovery journey and he, we were able to stay in the hospital room with him. We had our own room and you know, it was, came with its challenges. I ended up getting mastitis really bad and I ended up, I was under a lot of stress and like my health was the last priority at that time. So I ended up in hospital in the Royal Women's um, with like really bad mastitis. And uh, honestly, like whatever could go wrong with me did fucking go wrong. Like it was just honestly a nightmare. We got sick. Max got sick. He got um, para-influenza from probably a doctor or something like that through the aircon system. I don't know. So recovery took a lot longer and then he, he couldn't come off the oxygen and we couldn't go home until he came off oxygen so we were being kept there and I remember like thinking why did this happen to us like why us why him what have we done to deserve this like we're good people why has this happened and the same day that I remember sitting in that pity party for our situation I took a walk down the hall and chatted to a few people and there was a whole ward like so the, the cardiac ward is called the koala ward and there's a whole like wing in the koala ward where they're permanent residents for the time being and when I say permanent residents I'm talking some of them had been there for like a year and their heart transplant <sighs> their heart transplant kids Now, I know I said that seeing someone else in a full body cast doesn't make your broken leg hurt any less, but it gave me a fucking reality check of like, we were there for a month and these families had been there for a year. And it just like, yeah, it, it, got, it got me through and it was probably in hindsight a bit of... I guess like toxic positivity and like invalidating my own feelings and I had to feel that later and that's a whole nother story but I just remember thinking like 
some people don't get to leave with their babies. They don't. And we get to leave with our baby. And when we talk about finding the gift in our pain and our past and our story, one of the biggest gifts that I learned from this experience is what gratitude really feels like. And when I say what gratitude really feels like, I thought I was a grateful person. I thought I knew gratitude until I went through this. Until I had that phone call of like, he's good. We've saved him. We've fixed him. They've repaired him. And I still feel that gratitude when I go to every appointment. Every time Max gets on his motorbike and I see the joy in his face, he's now four and very healthy. You would not even know, aside from his massive zipper, so he's got a big scar. Every moment that I get that I thought we wouldn't get, that extreme explosion of gratitude hits me like a ton of bricks. And like I, 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 I truly believe that things happen to us in life for, for reasons and it's very hard to find the reasons in shit things and sometimes you don't like even Sean says now we're talking about this the other day and he's like I don't understand the gift in in, in what happened to Max he's like I don't understand the reason yet and maybe one day I will and I'm starting to because I've had um publicly sharing our our journey and our success story because it is that it is a success story we are very very lucky like I always say we're the lucky ones because we got to bring him home and you know I I feel like sharing my story and Max's story it's not my story it's Max's story and I'm just sharing it but um sharing our story is um you know it has helped other people get through after they've had a diagnosis and they I've had people say like I, I look at photos of Max and um it, it gets me through the next week of knowing that I've got that coming up and like I said this is so much more common than you realize one in a hundred babies is born with a congenital heart defect and so TGA transposition of the great arteries what Max had is one of the they actually said if you wanted to have one that's the one you'd want and I was like I don't fucking want any of them but um you know we were lucky again in that sense that yeah that we we had one that yeah he can live a, an absolutely normal life he doesn't have any issues he doesn't get tired easily like a lot of kids that have heart defects and stuff like that um you know it can affect their quality of life a little bit like Max rides motorbikes he is a like honestly there's just no stopping him he just has no fear so um looking at looking at it now nothing like I expected he would be I thought that he might be you know get puffed out easily and have some issues and stuff like that but he absolutely does not and that boy is the bravest and strongest human I've ever met in my life um and I look up to him and I learn a lot from him every day so that is another another gift that I found in this story now something that has come up from this is guilt guilt that I have a healthy child and some people haven't been so lucky um I got to take my baby home and there are so many people out there who don't and it's a real reality of life and so I have grappled with a lot of guilt um but you can't stay in that. You can't stay in the guilt. Uh, because our experience is our experience. And, you know, I think it's just like it's just humanness. I, I truly believe it's like humanness. And to see, I'm a very empathetic person. So to see other people's pain, it's like, obviously, it does bring up some guilt within me. But then that's equally met with so much gratitude. So... You know, that's that's something else that I've had to navigate through this experience. It's also taught me and given me the ability to let go of control because I had absolutely no control. I 
was a control freak before this happened and now I'm a lot more go with the flow and just like be grateful and yeah it, it's just it's it really did change me as a person um fear of sickness as well like before this happened I was so debilitatingly anxious about the kids about the kids about Lexi getting gastro or the flu or whatever like to the point where I wouldn't go certain places and even sending her to daycare would just be debilitating because I was like so worried and then it was just horrible um and now I thought this would like exacerbate my fear of sicknesses and like health anxiety but it's actually like <laughs> this little baby can overcome something so huge he can get through a cold or we can get through a bout of gastro um and you know it actually has helped like cure that health anxiety a little bit which is so fucking weird because I thought it would go the other way and I thought it would be like make me so anxious that that yeah just like but it just shows that I've done a lot of work to process this and above everything or on top of everything this has given me the ability to hold so much more and navigating that time holding one another like Sean and I being in a relationship like obviously we we it strengthened our relationship it taught us compassion and just taught us so much in our relationship um the the, the gratitude of just like how much of a blessing life is and like you just never know what's going to happen and any person out there right now if you are breathing and and your heart is beating you are so fucking blessed so blessed your body right now is 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 living that is like a, such a blessing if you've got kids they are such a blessing and I know that it's like easy to forget that when we're in the thick of it and we're in the trenches and things feel hard and they're frustrating us and they're testing us and you know and it's again not using like I don't use what's happened to us to invalidate my feelings of you know mother mother mothering being a mum can be hard like it fucking can be and I don't you know gaslight myself to be like or, or use toxic positivity or gratitude to be like oh well you can't be upset because like these children are a blessing it's like I still am allowed to feel the way I feel on a day-to-day -day basis when things are feeling hard when things are feeling sticky but the overall arch of my life has just completely changed and the way that I view life and you know even just like speaking my story and helping other people and I really do feel like I've had a lot of deep conversations with other mums who were in similar positions and, you know, it, it's like a perspective thing as well. And there's just been so much that has come from this that, you know, I would never wish this upon anyone. But if you can find some kind of gift in the shitty things that happen to you, it can make the world of a difference. And it's like you can sit in this victim victimhood and, and it's like you are actually a victim like it, it's I'm not invalidating actual victims there was a period for for a long time after this happened where I was like I wanted to just tell everyone what had happened to me so they would understand that you should just be kind to people because you never know what someone's going through and like I ended up I think I went out for a drink like a few months after this happened and maybe five months after this happened or something and I just shouldn't have gone out because I was just uh, like something had happened, someone had hip and shouldered me and a dude and I'd lost it and I was crying and I was like, you've got no idea what I've been through. And, you know, I was just stuck in that like still survival mode and that victim, like I was just still feeling like a victim. And and some people, they live their entire lives in that mentality. Um, and, and it's not to say that, you know, you need to invalidate how you feel or, you know, you need to... Um, let go of the story but it's like can you find okay well what what have been the gifts what have actually what's what good has actually come from this really horrible thing because when you focus on only the negative things that have happened from that story you're going to obviously attract more negative into your life so it's like 
okay, you might have had this thing happen to you and, and that explains why you are the way you are and it could be the root cause of a lot of issues in your life. But what has it done for you? What gift has it given you? What has come from it? And it's like that whole silver lining thing. And it's like sometimes, and if you're sitting here right now going, I don't, I like, I can't find a silver lining. It's just not your time to find it yet. It will come and you will think and you'll go, I remember this podcast that I listened to and this bitch was waffling on that there's a silver lining to everything and that everything happens for a reason. And I'm a very big believer in that. And I'm a big believer in things happen for you and not to you. It doesn't feel like that though when you go through something really traumatic and really heavy and really painful. Um, But I do think things happen for us and everything happens for a reason. And I believe, I'm a big believer if you want to get really spiritual in like karma and, um, you know, karmic contracts and stuff like that. And I do believe we come to this earth with a start date, a start date and an end date and the lessons in between that need to be learnt from this life, past lives and all of those things. So I know deep within my soul that I'm here to help people and that what happened, it, 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 it's, it might not even necessarily be just my lesson, but it taught me a lot. It has, it, it's given me the ability to hold so much so much opposing, so many opposing feelings, so much of other people's pain, so much of other people's joy. Like, honestly, like my ability to hold people in things is huge. Like I I don't often get to the point where I'm like, I can't hold you in that. Like I can hold so much. I can (laughs) simultaneously, God, I can't even speak hold myself through some gnarly stuff and other people at the same time because I'm a coach, right? That's what I do for work. So that's my life purpose is to to help people. And like this podcast, speaking about this and, and putting this out here is so incredibly fucking healing for me. And I know that this is going to help other people, whether that be validating their feelings and showing them that there is light at the end of the tunnel and and that's what I'm here to say like there is light at the end of the tunnel he's sitting in the next room from me right now with bright red hair and a stinky attitude right and it's like when you're going through things that are so painful or you've been through things that are so painful and so you're feeling you're feeling so much pain you can struggle to see the light at the end of the tunnel and it's like it's there it is I promise you the healing will come but you've got to allow yourself to feel the feelings you can't have this this stuff happen to you it could be childhood trauma guys it could be you know things that happen when you're a child it could be things that happen when you're a teenager whatever these painful things are that you've been through or the story that you've had it's like they've happened to you. You actually cannot change that. But what you can change is is where you go from now. And it's like you you can't just go searching for this gift when you're still feeling the pain. You actually can't. And I'm not going to sit here and say to you like, you know, it's your ch- like you need to do something about it. It's like you do when it's your time, right? You need to feel these feelings. You need to, to, to process. Sometimes it means revisiting the pain. Sometimes it means like, you know, journaling about it, whatever it is. Like there's so many different ways to go about it, but it's like, you know, for me, something happened in swimming lessons with Max when he had a horrible teacher and he was absolutely beside himself crying in the middle of the pool because she, I won't go there. It was horrible. It was an awful experience. And I was so highly triggered because my son was in the middle of the the pool on a platform crying his eyes out hysterically for his mummy and I couldn't do anything about it and that helpless feeling I was triggered I was extremely triggered and I went home and I journaled about it and I realized that I felt that exact same way I asked myself when else did I feel this way and it was when Max was in hospital and I couldn't hold him I couldn't cuddle my baby and he was in pain and he was crying and he wanted his mum And I felt helpless because I couldn't pick him up because he'd just had open heart surgery and he was connected to a thousand things. So revisiting that pain and I cried and I cried and it felt so painful actually allowed me to move past that and and keep going. And it's like sometimes we have to revisit these things that have happened to us in order to feel it and move on and 
you know, you can you can heal and, and process and move on in quotations without forgetting what happened, right? You're never going to forget. And um, it's always going to be a part of who you are and it's always going to be a part of your story. But it's like, can you, can, what can you do with that story? What can you actually do? Like I've, I read a book just recently and it was like the lady who wrote it said like there are, there are people out there who go through child loss and then go on to save hundreds, if not thousands of other children's lives from their pain right from their experience and I truly feel like the things I've been through in my life I had to go through in order to hold other people in what they're going through in order to show people there's light at the end of the tunnel there's so much joy so much happiness and 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 laughter and life to live and gratitude and bliss and like pleasure and all of the things but you actually have to in life feel pain it's that's the duality of life it's like there's pain and there's pleasure and they coexist and they can't exist without one another so knowing that that painful times are, you will get through and there is pleasure and joy and happiness on the other end right so This has been over an hour now, so I'm actually going to leave it there. This was very, very raw and emotional for me to to do. I haven't edited this at all. It's just, if if it stops and starts, it's just me pausing to recoup myself. Um, you know, so I'm not like an actual blubbering mess and that's okay. Like it's, if I'm going to be a blubbering mess, that's fine. But you know, I want to try and keep some composure on here. So that you guys can actually understand what I'm saying as well. Um, Thank you for listening. Like if you've made it to the end, I fucking love you. Thank you for like actually taking the time to listen to our story and be here and learn from me and, and listen to my wisdom and, you know, retain information that's coming from my mouth. Like it's, it just means the world to me that you've taken this time. So Until next time, I'll see you soon.